Well, good evening. Thank you, Charlie, for leading us and the praise band as well. And uh, before we get to the tea and the coffee, we're going to turn to God's Word and uh, be fed on that this evening. We're going to turn to Galatians tonight. We've finished our series in biblical principles. Um, I pray that that's been a really helpful uh, six weeks. Initially, it was six sermons. I think it nearly doubled um, since by the time we got through that. Uh, we did morning, evening on uh, at least four of them. And I pray that that was helpful to you. To me, certainly it was. And I pray as a church, we will benefit from that going forward. But tonight we're going to look at Galatians 1. And we're going to really just take an overview of the whole chapter. Uh, we will again, I'm sure, in our time together at some point, spend some time in Galatians. But this evening I want to go there. I want to look at the chapter uh, and take some things from it this evening. So let's just take our time to read uh, these 24 verses and then we'll look at them together. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you, And want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before. So I now say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. Let him be accursed. For I am now now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man. I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. When I saw, uh, but I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judah, Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith 
he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's just pray. Father, as we consider this opening chapter of this book this evening, in part we pray that you will uh, speak to us mightily, that the truths that are found in every verse of this uh, chapter will come to life, that we will see your transformational work and how it's still so relevant for us today. So bless us in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 1517. Not many of you would be around in that year, I wouldn't think. Uh, But in 1517, that was a crucial year, just over 500 years ago. uh, I think Galatians 1 and 8 would have been a fundamental verse. You see, as Martin Luther, uh, you would have maybe heard him more a number of, or two years ago, Uh, at the 500-year anniversary. Martin Luther, a German professor of theology, composer, priest, monk, and seminal figure in Protestant Reformation, well, he nailed the 95 Thesis to the door at the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And I think these verses remain dominant in his mind when he did that. And I believe Luther wasn't... uh, protesting against uh, the Roman Catholic Church at that point and its teaching, as we may think he was. But he was opening it out for an opportunity for discussion. See, it was like a modern-day forum as such, that courtyard there, as he nailed that thesis to the door. And it allowed then a public forum to begin to look at the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church against what, just in those moments, Luther was reading and understanding as truth and contrary to that which he was taught. And the outcome of in conclusion for Luther personally was that there was no compromise on the gospel. That there should be no compromise on the gospel. And Paul, 2,000 years before that, struck the same note. You see, this same theological note was struck as Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. As he stood and watched a solid church, a solid church crumble under higher priority on law and on circumcision. See, the gospel of grace through faith was being invaded by a works-based gospel. That was what was taking over. And I want to try my best tonight to strike a similar note as we look at Galatians 1. However, we must go back and remember that this Paul who wrote this letter to the Galatians and many other letters in the New Testament... He was the one who murdered and persecuted the church just a short time before. This is the man who's writing the words we read, inspired by God. So my question is, how then does Paul proclaim the gospel to a people that he was persecuting? How does Paul proclaim the gospel to a people who he was once 
persecuting? Well, we must start at the beginning. Like all good accounts and stories, we start right back at the beginning. I want to try and follow a logical path when dissecting this chapter. And therefore, we begin with Paul's, my first point, predestination. We're not going to go verse by verse here. We'd be here a long time doing that if we looked at Galatians 1 verse by verse. verse. We will do that one day. But we're going to look at this. And in verse 15, really Paul tells us what happened at the beginning. Verse 15 says this, But when he, being God, who had set me apart before I was born. He was set apart before he was born. Paul takes his reader back to the beginning. God had chosen me. And we hear an echo of this, don't we, in Ephesians 1, 4, and five. Maybe we'll turn there. We have time to do that at this point. Just turn over to uh, a few pages to the next book. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. We have an echo of this. Again, Paul is writing this to the Ephesians. This is what he says. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Paul was chosen by God. He was chosen by God. But the question I ask the text is this. Why would God allow Paul to persecute the church as he did? If God had revealed his son to Paul when he was younger, how many lives would have been saved? How many circumstances would be different? Well, now we know that this was all in God's timing. We say that often that way, he's sovereign and he's in control. But I want to take that further than that. I want to work out why. Paul and his redemption was planned for the exact time that it occurred. Of course it was. Paul was the Jew of Jews. Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures like the back of his hand. But all the time, God's sovereignty and plan was in action in the transformational work in Paul's life. We see it, actually, uh, in fact, in the early church in its grassroots stages. And the need at that point in the early church to see the power of God's uh, ability to transform lives. You see, they needed to see at this early stage in the church the power of God. His redemptive work and the power of Christ's cross work and the working of the indwelling spirit which lived in Paul after his conversion. They needed to see that. And therefore the answer to my question as to why Paul was allowed to persecute the church the way he did, I believe was so that an example was to be made of Paul and showing many hundreds and thousands of people Paul would have been very well known, as we know. But it would have showed 
the reality of what God can do even to the vilest offender. If we know Paul and his past, and we know what God transformed him into, there is no doubting that there was God's work in Paul's life. So he was predestined. Secondly, we see a great revelation. A great revelation. In the second half of verse 15 through to 16, we see that. And who was called, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. He was pleased to reveal his son to me. Read verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, this was a unique revelation of Jesus Christ. And God was pleased to reveal it to Paul. And this was a work of God. God was the one who instigated the revelation on the road. God was the one who was pleased to reveal his son, Jesus, to Paul in this amazing way. Maybe you know the story that I'm talking about, the account on that road as Paul traveled to Damascus. Uh, God revealed his son to him in an astonishing way. I don't think it was simply a bright light that just dazzled Paul, although it did that. I don't think it was simply just that. But I think it, as we read here from Galatians 1 and we tie it back to the story that we know, the account of Paul on the road, we know that it was not just a bright light, but a real revelation of Christ. And by revelation, I mean Paul saw Christ in all of his majesty and all of his beauty. The most significant moment in Paul's life. That's what it was. You see that moment. It was directed to Paul. It was intentional. It was intimate. It was just for Paul. Not those who were with him. Those who were traveling with him. Not for them. But for him. Just him. And in verse 12 as we've read. It says. That it was a revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ was revealed to Paul and inclusive of that revelation. And we need to understand this. Inclusive of that revelation was the gospel. Okay? So not only did he see Christ... But in seeing Christ, he saw the gospel in a, a, wonderful, a wonderful way. He saw Christ's majesty and authority and beauty and power and he was transformed. And we must remember that the gospel we have, that description like we saw this morning, is not simply information. It wasn't just information which was passed to Paul. But it was a transformational gospel and it transformed that man from what he was before into what we know of him now. So he saw the gospel, he understood part of that. And do you know what interests me, is, and I'll get to the next point in a second, is this, that have we ever been in a time in our lives where we've been or, or been in a circumstance where we're so excited 
about sharing that with somebody else. You know, there may be a new job or you might have your exam results come through. Or some big event in your life. You get engaged or set a date for the wedding, whatever it may be. And the only thing you want to do at that moment is share that with somebody else, don't you? It's big. It's important to me. And I'd just love to, to invite somebody else in to share this moment with me and enjoy that joyous time together. And I would have thought that when Paul's on that road and he had the, that encounter with Christ and that gospel shown to him and he saw Christ for who he was. And I know he had three days where he was blinded and he was set apart at that moment. But Paul here in Galatians tells us what he did. How he reacted to that moment. And that leads me to the next point. We see here Paul's preparation in verses 16b, the second half of verse 16, through to verse 19. And I just want to read these verses in light of what I've just said. And this is what they say. I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to, into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. You see, in order to do something well, we must prepare well. It's just the way it works. To do something well and, and to, to do something with excellence, we must prepare well. You know, imagine baking a cake. I try and imagine baking cakes, but it just doesn't work for me, you know. It just doesn't, just doesn't happen. Leave it to somebody else. Um, if you don't have all the ingredients, if you have not prepared well, it's just not going to work well. It's just not going to turn out well. The end result is going to be a disaster. So we need to do our preparation well in order to do something well and in excellence. I do remember one occasion I did try to bake. I'll tell you about this because Sarah's not here. Uh, oh dear! Yeah, I don't know how many years ago it was. You know when you know young married couple, and the guys. You know, for me anyway, I thought she's away to work. It's Shrove Tuesday. Shrove Tuesday, you know, pancakes, pancakes, pancakes can't be difficult, really, can they? You know, they can't be that difficult. And. Uh, Got all the, went to the shops, got all the ingredients, everything I needed. I, I did get everything I needed. And I went home and made this mix, put it out, and it was brilliant. Poured it out when Sarah got home, made the pancakes. They got all fluffy and lovely. And then we put them on the plate, put Nutella on them and strawberries, cut into them, put them in our mouth. And then Sarah said, what did you put <laughs> What did you put in here? I said, just as the ingredients tells us to, you know, just just what I needed to. She said, very salty. <laughs> you know, very salty. She said, how much salt did you put in? I said, well, just what it says in the pack, you know, just what it tells you to put in. And apparently it was meant to be a teaspoon, you know. But it worked out, I think it was a tablespoon. Um, and it was disgusting. 
awful. I had done all that preparation. But it just seemed that I just missed the mark. I did not follow the instructions. I did not prepare well. And therefore we had to throw the mix away. And I left it to Sarah every year since. <laughs> Got to prepare well. And Paul did that. Christ revealed himself to Paul so that he may preach. But to preach, we must prepare. But see here that Paul did not consult another apostle. No other apostles were consulted. You think if you were going to go and talk to anybody about this, you would go to one of the other apostles, right? They know. God has revealed to them in a special way. And you would think you'd go to them and you would see them and you would talk with them and you would enjoy that moment with them. But as we have read in verses 16 to 20, that he left for Arabia and then Damascus for three years. Why? Why did he leave for such a period of time and not consult with anyone? Well, God's direct gospel must not be compromised or contaminated. That's two important words when we think of the gospel. They cannot be compromised and they cannot be contaminated. And here he was taught directly, I believe, from Christ during that period of time and prepared himself for preaching the gospel he had received. Why did he have to do it this way? Well, I believe it was so that Paul could say that flesh and blood did not call me, reveal this to me, it did not teach me, it did not make me an apostle, and I am not dependent on the other Apostles. This is Christ's work. Paul's apostleship was predestined and it was personal, given through Christ who was revealed to him. Read verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Not man's gospel. Not from man, not taught by man, but by God. It had to be this way. This was God's way and sovereign plan for Paul's life and ministry. They would have not believed him, I think, if it had not been this way. This persecutor that is named Paul, which we will see in a moment, the last few verses... That's what they knew him as. But if he had come and he had said, well, it was the other apostles who showed me and revealed it to me and taught it to me, it just wouldn't have been the same as saying, I actually had an encounter with Christ on the road and he taught me and revealed it to me and now I am his and I am teaching you because he's prepared me to do so. But now Paul turns to the church in Galatia and talks about their own desertion. And this is serious. In verse 6 and verse 7, he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, 
But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You are deserting the true gospel for a fake one. For a false one. You are holding on to a false gospel. The church was being infiltrated by a gospel of works. A return to a gospel of grace through faith, therefore, was imperative. After all, there is only one true gospel. And for us today, this must remain the same. It's imperative that it remains the same. Do not desert or tamper with the gospel that we have. In our world, we, we are surrounded by much teaching and persuasive language. We are exposed to false gospels. It could be a couple of clicks on YouTube. I could take you to a false gospel. We're exposed to it. We have access to them. Gospels that seem attractive, very attractive, but only lead to a dissatisfaction and ultimately to death. If that's not a reason to stay with the true gospel, I don't know what is. And the only living, breathing, moving, powerful, transformational gospel we have is this one here. The one that is preached from this pulpit, the one that we hold in our hands, the one that we should know inside out. It's here. God's own words. Not the words of man. That's what Paul says. These are not my words. These are not man's words. This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. This is Christ's work. This is living words. Not empty dead ones. Believing in and pursuing a gospel like that. It brings life. It brings satisfaction and an abundant life and happiness. It brings eternal life. But pursuing and believing in a false gospel, turning to a different gospel, as Paul puts it, is deadly in every sense of the word. And doing that, it has consequences. And there is this in my fifth point. The consequence is condemnation. Verses 8 and 9. Strong words by Paul here. By those who desert the gospel. And here's the consequences. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And if you haven't heard it already, he, reads, he repeats it again almost in verse 9. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Repetition in the Bible only means the seriousness of the statement that's being made. Paul raises the stakes. Even if an angel preaches a gospel contrary. Not only us as mere man preaching the wrong gospel but even an angel there is a curse they are to be cursed accursed they are then devoted 
to destruction in a sense. And Paul underlines the seriousness and sacredness of our gospel. And he says there is to be no compromise, no other gospel to be preached. No other gospel to be believed in. By adding one thing, one thing to the perfect gospel, or taking one thing away, Christianity is no longer. Look at chapter 2, verse 21. Galatians 2 and 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He died for no reason. If that is the case, if that is the reality, if we follow this gospel that is not a gospel, if we add or take away, if we do anything to the gospel, then Christ came for no reason. You add circumcision. You state that Christ's death is worthless, of no purpose. Where does that leave Paul and us here today? All that we've seen in this chapter so far. Well, it leaves us firstly, I believe, to a declaration. A declaration. Verses 1 through 5, we see that. That as Paul, as he introduces this book and he speaks directly to the church in Galatia, he proclaims wonderfully, just in those first opening phrases, of who God is and who he is because of Christ. And we then today also must boldly proclaim the true gospel of Christ. Proclaiming that by God's grace, through faith, we can be saved. Not by any works We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot work our way there. Not by what we have done. By what, by, by, by what he has done for us. And maybe your declaration is like Paul on the road to Damascus. Lord, I need you in my life. To cleanse me, to forgive me, to guide me. That I will serve you with all my being. Do we not see that playing out after his Damascus Road experience? He was consecrated to God. He was dedicated to him. Giving his life to serve him. And we must do that also as we declare his great name in this World which has many false gospels. And then finally, glorification. Verse 23 and 24. I think these verses are very poignant, very wonderful as well as we read them. As he reflects on what people saw of him, as Paul reflects on that. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy. 
And what was their response? They glorified God because of Paul. They did not look at Paul and go, look how far that man has come. Look how he has transformed his life. And now look where he's, how he's living and what he's doing. That was not the reaction of the people. They saw Paul and immediately seeing him and his transformed life from what they knew of him before, they turned to God and they glorified God because of all that God had done in Paul's life. Isn't that wonderful? Glorification. Not a self-glorifying moment, but a God-glorifying moment. Not that we may boast in anything except for his beautiful name. Giving him the glory for all that Christ has done. And therefore as we finish this evening. We need to stand firm and steadfast on the word of God. Not moving or being tossed by the wind and the waves as James says. That nothing would hinder or cause you. To stop preaching. Nothing would hinder us in this church from stop to, to stop preaching the gospel of Christ. And you know, for us who sit here this evening and we see Paul's life, a glimpse of it here, and we see something of where he has come from and to where God has led him to, there is no denying that God is able to even the vilest of offenders, to turn you back from that path which is leading to death and take you and put you back on a road which leads to life. You know, he does the calling. We see that. Galatians 1, Ephesians 1. He has chosen those who will choose him. And tonight, maybe you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, my life is heading down a road which is leading to destruction, both in this world and in the next. And I need that same Savior that Paul had, this one that I see here and have seen briefly this evening. I need him. I need to confess my sin and dedicate my life to him. And for all of us who have the responsibility to uphold and to stand firm on God's word. That is every single person in this church who knows and loves Christ, not just those who preach. Yes, them in a greater manner, but all of us. We must hold fast. We must not preach another gospel because there is not one. We must do all that because one day we will all see him. We will all give an account And we need to be confident that on that day that we have remained grounded in and proclaimed the full canon of the true gospel of Christ. May that be true. May that be true for each one of us, I pray.